Hello, listeners. This is Bob Oren Williams with the December 2022 Food Literacy Podcast. This month, we'll be dropping a couple of separate audio tracks. One will introduce Elizabeth Berkeley, who is the new executive director of Chicago Grows Food. Chicago Grows Food is a coalition that includes the Chicago Partnership for Health Promotion at UIC, the UIC College of Nursing, DePaul University, Gardeners, Stein Learning Garden at St. Sabina, Open Lands, Healthy Schools Campaign, and the Center for Urban Transformation. It is a dynamic coalition, so we work with many organizations and individuals on various program activities, although they are not formal members of the coalition. Elizabeth will be talking about composting, especially during the holiday season, but also as a segue into podcast episodes regarding composting and upcoming uh, episodes, as well as looking at waste reduction, including the reduction of food waste. I look forward to working with Elizabeth on many of the upcoming episodes. Elizabeth and Chicago Grows Food will be a distribution source for the podcast, promoting and distributing it with their monthly Chicago Grows Food newsletter the second Tuesday of each month. The second audio file will consist of our monthly food literacy podcast. We will feature a couple of videos by physicist Dr. Sabine Hussenfelder. Yes, I said physicist. Dr. Sabine is the host of a YouTube channel called Science Without Gobbledygook that covers many topics, offering science distilled to a level many of us can understand. In this resource guide accompanying the audio, you will find a video discussing calories and how to read a label, as well as a video about what causes obesity. Both are as informative as any resource I have seen regarding calories and obesity. If you have a nerdy tendency like I do, you will find science materials related to various scientific topics, including physics. How about that? You will also find information about blue zones and a report that suggests you may add several years to your life by following the dietary patterns of people that live in blue zones. These blue zones are found in various places on the planet with many community members in them that live well into their 90s and even into their 100s. We will give you a preview of the January and February episodes as well, where we will provide information regarding starting the next growing season. As hard as it may seem, with winter beginning, the growing season for 2023 is upon us. So we will be offering information about how to get started, uh, some information we've covered before, but we think it's important to continue to do so again. And so stay tuned for that. Uh, stay tuned for information about when to start your seeds, depending on what you want to grow and um, the type of crop. So that kind of information will be shared with you, as well as information about hardiness zones, about day length about soil temperatures, and other pertinent information that will get you started wherever you'd like during the next growing season. Some people will want to start earlier, as early as March. Some people will wait until the more traditional season that begins in June and runs through the end of September 
into October. So we will offer information that covers ground for any situation. So I hope you enjoy this month's double audio podcast. Thank you. Hello, listeners. This is Bob Warren Williams. I am the co-host and co-producer of the Roots, Water, and Hope podcast series with soil scientist and soil enthusiast, Dr. Akila Martin. I'm also the Food Systems Intervention Coordinator for the Chicago Partnership for Health Promotion, a program out of the Office of Community Engagement and Neighborhood Health Partnerships at UIC. I'm also the Executive Director of the Center for Urban Transformation Chicago. And so we have a December episode for you. The December episode will be short like the daylight as the winter solstice approaches and the days become longer until the summer solstice returns in June here in the Northern Hemisphere. We won't cover any gardening materials really this month, but we will return in January and February with garden education programs to get you started and to kick off the new year and the 2023 gardening season. This month, enjoy the resource content accompanying the video clips with this month, enjoy the resource content accompanying the audio clips with Dr. Sabine Hossenfelder, physicist and author of numerous books, including her latest existential physics, a science's guide to life's biggest questions. Hmm. A physicist? Why a physicist? Where Dr. Sabine covers many scientific topics and is committed to taking the mystery out of science, as her YouTube channel, Science Without the Gobbledygook, suggests. We feature two videos here regarding obesity and how to read a calorie label. I have studied these topics for several years, and to me, her presentation is accessible while being grounded in science, and they will expand your food literacy knowledge. We also offer information about Blue Zones, Blue Zones was first used by author Dan Butner, who was studying areas of the world in which people lived exceptionally long lives. They are called Blue Zones because when Butner and his colleagues were searching for these areas, they drew blue circles around them on the map. In his book called The Blue Zones, Butner described five known Blue Zones, Icaria in Greece, Ogliastra in Sardinia, Italy, Okinawa, Japan, Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and the Seventh-day Adventist community in Loma Linda, California. Although these are the only areas discussed in Butner's book, there may be unidentified areas in the world that would also be blue zones. A number of studies have found that these areas contain extremely high rates of nonagenarians, people living into their 90s, and centenarians, people living into their hundreds. Interestingly, genetics probably only account for 20 to 30% of longevity. That's not insignificant, but uh, it's more to it than just having the right genes. Uh, The right genes help, no doubt about it, but uh, we got to pay attention to other things. Therefore, environmental influences, including diet and lifestyle, play a huge role in determining your lifespan. And interestingly, in this age of 
what we hear about social determinants of health and the health problems and the issues around lifespan and longevity related to people of African descent. Actually, African-Americans live in the deep south of a long tradition of eating Blue Zones-type foods. What began as largely a plant-based West African diet morphed into local Native American and European influences to produce a unique and vividly delicious cuisine. Dietary surveys going back to the 1890s indicate that most foods eaten by Southern African Americans were vegetables and grains. Aside from salt pork added for flavor, animal products played a minor role. Charleston, South Carolina, chef B.J. Dennis is on a mission to bring back the cuisine of his rice-growing ancestors. Captured from places such as Senegal and Liberia, his forebears were brought to the low country of South Carolina and Georgia to cultivate Carolina gold rice. We order uh, Carolina gold rice here in this household. Uh, we absolutely love it. I'm going to say this real quick about that rice-growing region and the people of African descent that work those rice fields. It is known that uh, in Japan, they rarely import other people's rice, but they did import Carolina gold rice. That was the quality of which the rice was grown uh, in the low country um, that made it sought after in places other than the United States, such as Japan. Keep that in mind. We may cover uh, some more uh, stuff related to that history uh, in another episode, but just wanted to point that out to folks. Because of their expertise, some of the enslaved Africans were allowed gardens where they grew African staples and local ingredients. We took the rustic soul out of the Africans and the Native American techniques and made this special mashup, Chef Dennis is quoted as saying. The traditional West African diet consisted mostly of greens, root vegetables, black-eyed peas, okra, benny seeds, herbs and spices, and cereals like millet. Meat was eaten only occasionally. When captured, Africans were shipped to America. The plants and seeds of their homeland came with them. They entered into cultural exchanges with Native Americans, who shared very similar farming practices and food staples. Both communities cooked with corn, sweet potatoes, and local bean varieties. The result was a blended and innovative cuisine. This history is important to consider as we contemplate reducing or eliminating social determinants of health through shifting cultural practices and assisting the community to understand that historically, we are descendants of a food culture that was very healthy. Instead, today I've often heard when discussing increasing food and vegetable consumption that, quote, I or we don't eat like that. Or I or we don't eat that kind of food. Well, Historically, that was not the case, and we need to recover our cultural practices and food ways as a path forward to a healthier existence and to extending uh, our lifespan. 
in essence, people not just in the African descendant communities have no historical knowledge that suggests these foods were essential to African-American food ways and diets. Similar food ways have undergone a similar process, such as Tex-Mex, which, as explained in the National Geographic article that I'm actually reading from, and in the accompanying uh, audio link, is sort of a practice in this country that we have basically undermined and destroyed um, natural, uh, healthier food practices in the interest of what's now called the standard American diet and foods that are rooted in highly processed foods and in fast food. So time to make the shift back. Uh There's uh, a a cultural phenomenon that many people, particularly in the African-American community, are familiar with called Sankofa. And Sankofa essentially is looking back to move forward. So I'm suggesting that we look back at these cultural pathways and food ways to move forward into a healthier way of life in this country. And, you know, real quickly, too, and we'll cover more of this later, food is really, really, really important. I don't want to minimize it at all. But uh, we need to take a more holistic approach, too. There's other things that we have to deal with, like movement, uh, like um, trying to um, remove as many exposures to different kinds of pollutants and that sort of thing as we can. So we'll discuss some more of that stuff during the course of our investigations and the production of our food literacy episodes. This um, discussion uh, led me to uh, go to my bookshelf here and pull out a book by Dr. Joel Furman, Fast Food Genocide. And in it, uh, and, and reinforcing what we just talked about, he said the diet of slaves living on plantations was different from that of poor whites in many cases because they were permitted to grow their own food. By the mid-17th century in Virginia, for example, many slaves were growing kale, cabbages, mustard leaves, black-eyed peas, gourds, okra, spinach, squash, watercress, watermelon, yams, corn, pumpkins, and peanuts. These foods fed slaves and plantation families, and were not available to those who didn't live on the plantation. The resulting health and lifespan of slaves who ate a healthier diet is a great example of a true scientism known for decades. Health and lifespan can be extended by packing in more micronutrients and more micronutrient diversity. During the late 19th and early 20th centuries, there were no refined fast foods with concentrated calories to induce overeating and obesity. However, all of the healthy vegetables and beans were not valued throughout the South. In the mid-1930s, during the Great Depression, the Works Progress Administration employed writers through the Federal Writers Project to produce a written history of the lives of slaves before the opportunity was lost. They fanned out across 17 states, mostly in the South, to interview 2,200 former slaves. 
First-hand testimony revealed the slave diets varied from plantation to plantation. One former slave from South Carolina said the slaves ate potatoes, rice, corn pone, hominy, fried meat, molasses, whole wheat byproducts called shorts, turnips, collards, and string beans. The white plantation owners ate the white flour, leaving the, the bran germ and whole wheat for the slaves. A former Mississippi slave added, we always had plenty of something to eat. Meat, cornbread, milk, and vegetables of all kinds. The garden was made for the colored and the whites together, so each person didn't have to worry about making one for himself. Given the work that we do, and check out the bonus uh, episode with um, Elizabeth Berkeley, the new executive director for Chicago Roast Food, talking about um, the coalition and collaboration that's been taking place for a few years now. And one of the projects has been the pilot that we participated in uh, during the 2022 growing season. And this information that I just shared with you uh, reinforces what I've been saying for a, a while in my mind. And then th this information for, for me really catalyzes the need to grow your own food uh, as much and where possible as a way to mitigate some of the health problems that we have as a community and return ourselves to a healthier way of life. Again, that's not all that's required to do that, but, you know, let's revisit uh, our food and what we do and how we do it. And let's create or recreate a culture of uh, eating uh, real food and cooking and those sorts of things, which is uh, what we'll be concerned with in 2023 and beyond and why we shifted our podcast from one that dealt with just garden education to a food literacy podcast where we can provide a lot of information about food, food waste, cooking, nutrition, all those sorts of things. We want to make sure people become regrounded and recreate uh, a new path forward, uh, utilizing uh, whole foods. Also, the necessity for local and hyper-local uh, food is another salient point. And again, we'll get more into that in later episodes as well. So uh, some of the healthiest food, think about it, is what you can grow uh, locally and at your house, in your backyard, on your front porch, wherever you're able to do it, uh, take advantage of that. Uh, this past season, particularly with regard to vegetables and um, some of the uh, other ingredients for cooking, like peppers and that kind of stuff, I made a real point to eat what I grew, but also purchase things from local farm stands. Not necessarily farmer's markets, but farm stands. Uh, farm stands, for me at least, in my experience, are better value. And, you know, we just need to support our local growers that are providing food at a more affordable price. Uh, some of the prices... And farmer's markets and much ballyhooed farmer's markets. And if that's what you want to do, fine. But I find the, the price structure 
uh, to be a bit excessive. We'll say that. And then we hear the rationale that, you know, the calculus of why prices are the way that they are. Uh, okay, that's great. But our local farms seem to be able to provide produce at a much lower price. Uh, also, your capacity to grow your own food in whatever amount will help you lower your food costs, particularly during the growing season. That said, one of the things that we're going to be focusing on as well is extending the growing season here in Chicago. You can do a lot, but the growing season is pretty short. But we're going to help you figure out how to grow longer, if that's what you want to do. There's nothing wrong with growing in the more traditional gardening season here in Chicago. And essentially, I'm talking about uh, from June through mid-September to early October, whatever the case may be. But there's ways to extend that, and you have to pay attention to crops and that kind of stuff. But we're going to cover a lot of that stuff in January and February. So uh, stay tuned for that. So... I promised that this would be pretty short, but not as short as I had originally anticipated. So we're going to sign off now. Again, Oren Williams, you know, listen in. Also, I want to leave you with have a happy holiday of your choice, whatever holiday or whatever spiritual rituals that resonate with you. Enjoy them. Um, Have a peaceful, safe holiday. And we will be back in January uh, with new episodes again every month related to food literacy. And we may even have more uh, episodes uh, next year as we uncover so much information that we'd like to share with you. So, Oren Williams, signing off. Peace.